Father, I am so grateful for the promises of your word that never, ever, ever fail. We thank you that we can lean on them, stand on them as hard as we want. We know that you're always by our side. We ask that you'll guide us through our time together this morning as we explore your word. Incredibly powerful section of scripture that Paul leaves us. And we're so grateful, Father, that you didn't leave us in the dark. But we know where to turn and what to do and how to respond to the events around us. And so God be clearly communicating to us today as we unpack your word. I am so grateful that it has preserved this, this test of time and has always been there to guide and direct every thought we have. Bless us, we pray, in the power of Jesus. Bind every force of darkness that comes against us. And may we stand firm in you this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. How many of you as parents, anybody in the back room there, back here? Nobody came out. Wanted a music stand. How many of you as parents had said something along the lines of this? I've told you before, you just have to wait. You ever said that? I've said it before, you just have to wait. It's not always easy for kids, is it? Not either for us adults. Now, for kids, it could be anything as simple as when's dinner, when they ask that question, to what am I getting for Christmas? Or when is Christmas, by the way? How many of you have used that, you go to bed 67 more times, and then when you wake up the 68th time, it will be Christmas? You ever done that one? You try to get them some perspective of how long things take before they get to that event they've waited for forever. Sometimes the questions are as simple as, we are going to stop, don't worry about it, hold it for just a little bit more. (laughs) For those of you who are children, you know that it's hard to wait sometimes for the things you really want. Thank you, Isaac. For those of us who are adults, it's not any easier as well. How many of you ladies, when you were pregnant, thought that nine months would never, ever finish? How many of you were pregnant and seemed to go really fast? It just seemed like six or eight days. Anybody in here? And nine months was a long time to wait for that event. And then every once in a while, you had that classic statement. Is this baby ever going to come? Or the one that you loved the most? You still pregnant? (laughs) Can I just ask you, ladies, and you don't have to say it out loud, but tell me at some point, what thoughts run through your mind when that insensitive and stupid question is asked of you, are you still pregnant? I mean, what do you want to say? Not really. I had it seven months ago. You haven't seen it? Just haven't lost my baby weight yet. I mean, what do you say to those kind of statements? But I've heard them ask. I've never asked one. And of course you have that really classic, I didn't know you were pregnant, to I'm not. (laughs) You don't know what to say to that one. Waiting for something amazing and incredible is hard. Not only for kids but as well for us adults every once in a while too. Paul is writing to uh, newfound followers of Christ. I'm not even sure if the term Christianity had been used yet. They were called followers of the way. In Antioch, they were first called Christians, it says in the book of Acts. And the term hadn't been used a lot. 
They weren't gathering in churches like this. They were gathering in houses. Many times they did gather together collectively in a given community like Thessalonica. And they had a number of questions. You have questions. We've had the Word of God around with us for 2,000 years. Yet I constantly have people come to me and say, I don't understand this, and why did God do that, and what is God doing here? And those are natural questions. Imagine what it's like when Jesus has only been gone for 20 or 30 years This newfound form of Christianity is there. You've heard of Judaism all your life. You probably practiced it or you didn't practice any religion. And now all of a sudden you're followers of Christ and he has left and he has said he's coming back. And then all of a sudden some of your friends begin to die. This event that he promised for so long is supposed to be so amazing. And now your friends have died. And you wonder, are they going to miss it? I mean, everything that Jesus described about this event is incredible. Are they going to miss it? So Paul begins to write to them about some significant events that are going to take place and really answers some of the questions they have in this newfound level of faith, trying to find some anchors to hold on to in the midst of an enormous amount of uncertainty that's going on around them every single day. I love being a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. When you come to Community Alliance Church, you're a part of the CNMA. And I love being a part of the CNMA. I've been there since I was 12, and obviously I'm not anymore. And it's been a long time in this journey, and I've explored a lot of other religious faiths. I experienced some of them in my early years. And when I was in high school, I went to every church I could, I could find so that I could explore all facets of Christianity and all of that. But I love the CNMA number of things I like about it. I love our passion for missions. A couple of weeks ago at council, I found out that this church is number seven in giving to the Christian Missionary Alliance in regards to giving out of the 2,005 churches in the CNMA. That's pretty amazing that this church really believes in missions that highly and sacrifices a lot so that we can continue to do what God is doing overseas. And we're not the seventh largest. There are a lot of other churches larger than us. But God blesses us and many believe in what God is doing in the lives of CNMA missionaries. And so we participate in that. I love our passion for missions. I love our simple theology. We don't get hung up on a lot of things and have a lot of statements. There are 11 statements of faith and four profound things that we really believe about who we are and we communicate it that way. We believe in Christ our Savior. We believe that God so loved us that he sent his one and only son, knowing there was no other way that redemption could ever come, no other way that we could ever earn our way into into heaven or into salvation. God so loved us that he sent his one and only son. Jesus, God himself, became flesh and dwelt among us. He offered us life. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross of Calvary. And we are absolutely convinced that there is no other way to heaven but Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the Savior of humanity, the one and only way. No way to heaven but through Him. We believe in Christ our sanctifier. That when you come to faith in Christ, Jesus sets you apart. The Spirit of God lands on you. And God sets you apart and He pours His life into you. It says in the Word of God, He gives you everything you'll ever need for life and godliness. All the resources we can imagine are available to us through Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit. We have the responsibility of taking advantage of that. 
But every resource we ever need is in Jesus and Jesus alone. We believe in Christ our Savior. We believe in Christ our Sanctifier. We believe in Christ our Healer. That I can ask God today. Someone will do that. Patty will come this morning after the service. Many do many times after a service and say, God, I need your healing touch on my body. And we are absolutely convinced that the same Jesus who walked the shores of Galilee and the streets of Jerusalem can come today and touch your body and make you whole. We believe in Christ, our healer. That it wasn't just something written about in history long ago, but that Jesus still heals today. Question is always asked, why does he do some and not others? I'll talk about that in August. And we believe in Christ, our coming king. We believe that Jesus Christ, exactly as he left, will return. We believe that Jesus will come back and set this world that certainly seems turned upside down, right side up. And we believe that not just because it's a part of our theology. We believe it because Jesus said so. And everything Jesus said, what? Was true. And everything Jesus predicted came true. So if indeed Jesus said he's coming back, I won't be here for the next two Sundays. Bill's going to preach next Sunday morning and he leaves on Tuesday. Ted, I believe you leave. Ted's on the executive committee. You leave Sunday, right? And a number of us do that we've been working with the Life Conference. I've been working with my wife in the Life Conference for 33 years. And we leave Sunday. We believe in what God's going to do and Bill's going to preach and then Bob's going to preach after that. And then I'm coming back on the 20th. I promise you I will. But when Jesus said he's coming back, you can count on that. You can take that to the bank. A lot of things could happen between now and the 20s in my life. But I'm telling you, when Jesus said, I'm coming back, he's coming back. Arnold Schwarzenegger says that it doesn't really matter. I'll be back. When Jesus said, I'll be back, you can take that to the bank. And so he said to his disciples, I'm leaving now. I love you like crazy. I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to be uptight. I'm going. I'm going for a while. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I will come back and get you, and I'll take you there. At the end of Matthew and Luke, if you have time, my, my responsibility on Sunday morning is to whet your appetite for the Word of God. And at one of my responsibilities on Sunday morning is to whet your appetite for the Word of God. Read the end of Matthew sometime, if you've not read it before, and some of the things that Jesus said about His return and what it's going to look like. Near the end of Matthew and Luke, especially Matthew, he talks about the fact that he equates himself at times to a king or a master or a ruler who's leaving and going away for a while, and he leaves his servants in charge. And he says to them, I want you to be really busy till I come back. I will come back, and I will see how you did. I want you to be really hard at work. I know I've used the illustration before, but I grew up on a dairy farm. I loved it. Wouldn't change anything about it. When dad would leave and go to town, that's a big deal when you're a kid in a farm. Everybody goes to town. Y'all still go to town? He goes to town, goes to the auction, goes wherever, and uh, goes to 84 Lumber and buys stuff. And he said, I'm coming back. Boy, we knew like Jesus, dad was coming back. He gave us a list of assignments to do, and our responsibility was to get them done. My brother and I would fruit around the entire time that he was gone, calculating when we thought he was going to come back and try to get this list done as fast as possible. And then dad, like he would normally do, showed up early, only to find that we had not finished the list. And when we did it, it was pretty fast and not done real well. We paid a price for that. (laughs) 
Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you in charge. There are some things that I want you to do, and I'll talk about those again at the end. But I will come back to see how well you've done. I've given you all the gifts that are necessary. Give you some more than others. It's not a problem with that. No reason I like them any better than you. But I've given the church a lot of gifts. And I want you to use them well. And I want you to bring people into the kingdom. But I will come back and see how you did. Last time Jesus was with his disciples, he talked about his return. And then he leaves. The angel comes down and said, This same Jesus who left you, just the way he left you, Rising up into the clouds and disappearing, he'll return. He'll come back. Paul talks about the return of Christ in almost every New Testament epistle. He said, I will return. He will come back. But a lot of people wonder, when? I've got friends who have died, and I don't want them to miss it. So Paul addresses that issue in chapter 4. And then that classic question that always comes up, that have been coming up for the last 2,000 years, when is it going to happen? We talked about that in Peter a few weeks ago, Paul, or a few months ago. Paul addresses the same thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He answers that question similar to how we parents ask, answer it before. I told you before, I said so, it will happen. Look at how he starts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, family of God, that's who he's writing to. About the times and dates, we don't need to bother. We don't need to write to you about that. You know very well the day of the Lord will come. Right? It's what the parents say. You know it's going to happen. We told you before it's going to happen. Similar to how Paul's saying this. You know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. My people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you, us, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness so that the day would surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then... Let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who are asleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. The hope of salvation is a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. He died for us. Christ our Savior, remember? He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep... That's the physical part, not what he's talking about before. Whether we're still alive or we have died in sleep, as we've talked about before last Sunday, we may live together with him. Now, in light of all of this, therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up, as I know you're already doing, or just in fact you're already doing. Since Jesus left, 1157, 38 A.D., Since Jesus left, people have been predicting his return. For 2,000 years, people have been predicting his return. No time in church history was there any freedom from trying to speculate when Jesus was going to come back. When the world turned to year 1,000, we can't even fathom that because we're already 2013. When the year turned 1,000, everybody said what everybody has been saying or did say up into the year 2,000, Jesus is going to come back. All the signs are beginning to line up. Christ is going to return by the year 1000. Turmoil all over Europe, expecting the return of Christ. In the 14th century, widespread plagues and famines led many to think that the end of the world was near. 
The origins of such group as the Jehovah Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists can be traced back to 19th century date setters. World War II, can you imagine? A few of you in our audience may have lived through that. Can you imagine what it was like when Christians reading the Word of God and knowing what he said in Matthew, that wars and rumors of wars would take place, and nation would rise up against nation. Can you imagine what it was like for believers living in World War II? When nations began to rise against nation and all the signs that many would have anticipated. Had I been there, I would have thought that. That Jesus was going to come back. The founding of the modern state of Israel in 1948 was overrun with date setters. God's going to come back. All the pieces are lining up according to what he said in predictions of Scripture. The early 1970s, Hal Lindsey wrote a book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Any of you remember that? Clear impression that in 1988, Jesus was going to return. Edgar Wisenat gave 88 reasons why the Lord was going to return in 1988. We, we all missed it, by the way. Did you notice that? 88 reasons why the Lord was going to return in 1988. When it didn't happen, he, he even came under more conviction that it was going to happen in 1989. I missed it by a year, he thought. The Jupiter Effect in 1982 was written when all the planets line up. And I'll confess before you, my church family, I preached that. And I, pre I did the thief in the night and a distant thunder thing and scared everybody to death and scared everybody into the kingdom of God when we showed all those movies in the 1970s and 80s. And the Jesus was going to return and the Jupiter Effect said all the planets are going to line up and when they line up, Christ is going to return. Return of Jupiter in 1997. They predicted in 1996 a terrible earthquake was going to break in the oceanic earth under the Pacific Ocean and everything was going to unfold from that point on. Earth's two minutes warning why Jesus returned in the year 2000. 50 events pointing to the return of Christ in the year 2000. After 9-11, many thought it would happen again. Desert storm fighting in the Middle East. When President Obama got elected, do you imagine how many people sent me emails saying that he was the Antichrist? Dozens and dozens and dozens of emails saying, now it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden we got the year 2012. Movies predicting it, people writing it on buses and on banners all over New York City and around the globe. By May 2012, it's going to happen. By October 2012, Christ will return. The judgment will take place. And here we are in 2013. And we wonder... Paul said the same thing to the Thessalonians that Jesus did to his disciples. And he said the same thing to us in Acts 1-7. It's not for you to know. So don't worry about the times and the dates that God has sent in his own authority or based on his own authority. Quit trying to figure out dates and times, Paul said. It's going to come at a time when you least expect it like a thief in the night. No thief ever breaks in when the guy is sitting there with his 12-gauge shotgun ready for him to walk in the door. They break in. They come in when you least expect them. Paul said, quit trying to figure it out. It's going to happen. Trust me, it's going to happen. You, you be ready. You be ready. When my girls were little, I wanted to make sure that I was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as clearly as I knew how so that they were ready for the return of Jesus at any time. Every Sunday morning, we live next door to the church and so every Sunday morning, I'd get up real early, I'd go over to the church and pray. My first church, I was a fireman. We were fighting fires for a number of periods of time all through the night. And one Sunday morning, I got up to church. What I normally did, went over to pray, and I fell asleep on the altar. The very first guy who came early found me asleep, thought I'd died. 
What was interesting, he sat there 10 minutes trying to figure out what to do. I'm going, okay, seriously. In our last church in Countersport, when I was raising the girls, we had a church next door to the parsonage. And so I'd go over there and I'd pray early in the morning. Then I'd come back. Wanted them to be ready. Ready, Jay? I wanted them to be ready. So what I would do is go downstairs and take our stereo and crank it up as loud as I possibly could. Now, you've got to remember, I'm raising my girls in the 1980s. Crank it up as loud as I possibly could, I and I would play this. I got a lot of suggestions about what to do with that record. <laughs> Y'all do remember records, right? You don't have a clue what a record is, do you? All you do? But they got the point. I would crank it up. I'd do Phil Driscoll. Every trumpet that I could find, I would crank it up to make sure they were ready and that they knew Christ was returning. Paul said, look, don't worry about the dates and the times. I want to make sure you're ready. Don't get so preoccupied with what's going on here on this earth. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 21. Be very careful. Don't let your, weight, your hearts get weighted down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. That day's going to come upon you as it will on the whole earth. Be watchful. Pray so that you'll be able to understand what's going to take place. You'll be able to escape all, that able to ha- all that's going to happen and that you'll be ready to stand before the Son of Man. Don't worry about times and dates or when it's going to happen. Be ready. Do everything you possibly can. So when it comes, you'll be excited. You won't be disappointed. You won't be depressed. You won't be scared. You'll be thrilled out of your mind because you know everything you've planned for and everything you knew was coming would be true. Interesting when Paul uses the phrase peace and safety. Look at there in the middle of this section in Thessalonians the phrase peace and safety has some Old Testament connotations. Or uh, Jeremiah, I think I was reading this week, Ezekiel. But many commentators feel it's more likely kind of a... And I love Paul every once in a while. It kind of takes a, a shot at what's going on around him. The Roman government promised peace and safety to everyone. You, you follow us. You, matter of fact, we're just going to take you. And we're going to overtake you. But we promise you some really good things. You you come under our reign. You come under our rule. And we promise you peace and safety. And Paul is saying, you know where you get real peace and safety? It's in Christ. Be very, very careful that your peace and safety isn't coming from things or people or security of your own or the things you're counting on or your health or your prosperity. Be very careful that your peace and safety are coming from the right things because all of those other things are going to come crumbling down. Every evangelical in America talked about that uh, after 9-11 when many of us were counting on things. In 2008 when the stock market went flat again and and half of us lost our retirement income. Good night, I'll be preaching until I'm 94. And so many people lost that, and their security was in the fact that I can't wait till I get to this point. I'll get to retire, and then all of a sudden it's gone. 
Paul said 2,000 years ago, look, peace and safety come from Christ and Christ alone. Not in what the government promised, not in what our government promises us today or the Roman government promised us then. Be aware of what's going on around you. Only trust in God, the one to deliver us from destruction. Paul reminds them of who they are in Christ and the kind of lifestyle they left. Look at verse 4. Look, brothers and sisters, you're not walking in darkness anymore. You're walking in the light. Walk like children of the light. You, you left that world. You, you left that darkness. Don't be like them who are carousing around. You left that life. Walk like children of the light. Very powerful passage. If you have bulletin uh, or just someplace you want to write by your notes there in 1 Thessalonians. My Bible has written all over it. Write down Colossians 1. It is a beautiful prayer of Paul. He does some of the most powerful, wonderful prayers in Ephesians and, and Colossians. And he said, look, I just want to remind you, you were in darkness, but now you're in light. You used to walk that way. You don't walk that way anymore. Walk as children of the light. The metaphor that Paul uses regarding day and, and dark and light is, is hard for us to grasp, especially since the, the invention of electricity. How many, what, what night this week when, when the storm really hit, we all lost our power? What was that, Wednesday, Tuesday night? I mean, we live, we, we live on the other side of Herman. I'm telling you what, from, from Herman over, it was dark. And on Becker Road where I live, it was dark. And brother, it was darker than the inside of your sombrero. It was dark <laughs> in there. That's an old Ricky Ricardo line. And <laughs> everybody's going, who's that? I mean, it was dark. We couldn't see a thing. I mean, unfortunately, I'm, I'm one of those things that think there's no better gift to give a man than a flashlight. I got 10 of them. And they're all over the place. But I'm telling you, until I found them, it was dark. 1994, I went to Africa for the very first time. It was the most amazing journey of my life. Went on a work missions trip with my dad. We were over 100 miles from natural light. Now, you can't even fathom that. No city for 100 miles. No natural, no, I'm sorry. No man-made light for over 100 miles. And when night came, brother, it was dark. The African sky was exhilarating. One of the most amazing things I'd ever seen. Paul said, look, you, you, you 2013 believers, you may not understand the difference between light and dark. Because you got lights everywhere you go. you got a flashlight under every corner. But I'm telling you, if you remember what it was like to walk in darkness, Paul said, don't do that anymore. You don't do that anymore. Live as children of the light. Live as you were intended to live. Paul uses an imagery that contrasts it as loud as you possibly can to make sure that we really understand who we are in Christ. Max Licato wrote a, a really powerful, profound, I think it was a blog or a twit or a tweet, whatever you call them. I don't do either one of them. Uh, but he said, you know, the New Testament, we, we look at the world around us and we look at what happened with the Supreme Court decision and all of this, and, and I was as frustrated as you were. And he said, the, the New Testament was written in days like we're living in now. It was written to the society that's turned upside down that is a mess. Immorality all over the place. You and I have the opportunity to do what Paul's been saying for the last 2,000 years. Live as children of light. Make their appetite wet for what it is that we have in Christ. Make them recognize that we are different, that marriage is different to us. One of the greatest compliments people could give us is, is I want a marriage like yours. 
I love to watch your marriage. My wife and I get to celebrate 40 years next Saturday. And when people around us have the opportunity for you to say about your marriage, man, I'm so delighted to see you. I, I want a marriage like yours. We're a mess. We're a mess as a society. We're a mess as a government. We're a mess as America. We're in a mess as a world. You and I had the opportunity to shine in the middle of the mess what Jesus has done in our lives and the changes he's made. So shine like children of the light. Paul finishes with a reminder of what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. Look, we're fighting a real tough battle. So use every resource at your availability. Put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Make sure that you're taking and put around you the shield of faith. Make sure you understand the power of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he says to us and here the same thing. Since we belong to the day, let's put on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of the salvation as a helmet. Dates and times are unclear. But quit fussing about it. Quit worrying about it. Quit trying to predict it. Quit listening to those who do. Dates and times are unclear, but Paul is really clear about this. Jesus will return. The wrath of God, verse 8, will be poured out. And it will be poured out on this evil world. Destruction will come. And the way to eternal life has already been offered to us in verse 8 through Jesus Christ our Lord. For believers, the response to all of this is this. Service, not speculation. Service, not speculation. Do kingdom work. Bring others to faith in Christ. Is there anybody in here, anybody in this auditorium, that has a person in their life that doesn't know Jesus? Anybody? I'm just curious. Two of you? Raise your hand. Is there anybody in this audience that, do, that has a friend who doesn't know Jesus as Savior? If they don't know Christ as Savior, they're in for destruction. We got room for them. This church hasn't grown in five years, eight years. I take, I'll take personal responsibility for that, number-wise. Well, we build it, they will come. That's a great line for a movie. It's not true in life. You know people that don't know Christ? They're in for horrible destruction. Tell them about Jesus. Don't worry about when he's going to come back. Do everything you possibly can to make sure I've shared this journey of love, this journey of grace, that I've shared what I've found. Live as children of light. Allow them to be attracted to that. In the middle of darkness, people are attracted to light. They want to follow it. Live as children of light. Live in anticipation, not apprehension. Look forward to it. Don't worry about it. The older you get, the more you look forward to heaven. I hear it all the time. Man, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. Recognize again that our security comes from God and God alone. Not in what the world offers us, not in the things around us. Our security is in Christ. Service, not speculation. Anticipation, not apprehension. A recognition that our security comes from God alone. For those who don't, Christ, who don't know Christ, the options are either preparation or elimination. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, man, you have the greatest opportunity on the planet. Because you can walk out of here knowing that if he came back this moment, we've all heard it, we've talked about it, I could walk outside, get hit by a bus. Every time I hear that illustration, you wonder how many buses are running up and down outside the church. I mean, I hear that illustration all the time. 
But you and I both know life is really unpredictable. None of us are guaranteed as to how long we'll live on this earth. We are guaranteed of the return of Christ, and we are guaranteed of the fact that we'll stand before Jesus. And we are absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is the one and only way. And he offers it freely as a gift, the most amazing gift on this planet. And he says, you can have it today. You can have life, and you can have it forever. Take it. Do not leave without knowing for sure that you know Christ. A lot of questions are unanswered in Scripture. A lot of questions that people have. But John is pretty clear, and so is Paul. But John says, look, I've written all these things so that you can know you have eternal life. I ask people all the time, if you were to die today, you know you're going to heaven? I hope so. I think so. I'd like to. Man, John says, I've written this so you can know. You don't have to hope so. You don't have to think so. You don't have to wish it. You can know. You have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you don't know Christ, the options are preparation, find him, embrace him, receive him, or annihilation. Why would you want that? Now, I'm either lying or I'm telling the truth. And you have to decide. But I'm telling you, your soul is dependent on what you do with that information. And your determination of whether or not I'm telling the truth, whether or not Paul's telling the truth, whether or not Jesus told the truth, your eternal destination is dependent on whether or not you believe that is the truth. Do it today. Father, I love your word. Oh, I love your word. I get excited about it. I can't wait for it. I'm so tired. <laughs> but yet it exhilarates me for the opportunity to be able to come before people I adore and share your word with power and confidence that it's true. So God, for all of us in this room this morning who know you as Savior, we're excited. We can't wait to see you face to face. Keep us busy. Keep us sharing the truth that we can uh, encourage those who don't know you to not sit around the holy huddle, but share the truth of Jesus with those who don't know you. For that one here this morning, maybe one who isn't sure, today, God, by your Spirit, speak to them so that they can know for sure. If you're here this morning and I can pray for you, we're going to pray for those at the end, but you don't know Christ, you're, you're just a little bit nervous about the future, man, i just love for you to visually visualize raising your hand to God, saying, I need to know for sure today. I need you today. Would you raise your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you as we close. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you very much. Father, you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know our circumstances. I love that about you. Nothing is beyond your sight. I look forward to what you'll do someday. In the meantime, Father, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity to share love and grace everywhere we go. And so for that one this morning who just needs you to invade their lives right now, may your glory and grace abound. For Patty, as we pray, for others in our audience that need your touch in their bodies physically, would you do that? Thank you for your love. I thank you for this place. I thank you for these people that I call my friends and my family that we can do this journey together in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could pray for you, I know Patty once prayed for and anointed. If you're here this morning, we believe in Christ our healer. We'd love to pray for you. For one or two of you that really don't know for sure if Christ is in your heart, we've got people that will stay and talk to you and pray for you. Uh, again, I love you like crazy. 
leaving next Sunday. We'd appreciate your prayers. And uh, for that event, Ted and so many in the executive committee run. Everybody's volunteer, but one or two people. So it's an amazing journey. Uh, We really appreciate your prayers. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Do not miss because you will enjoy what these next two Sundays are going to be like. God bless you.